Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. morning. My name is Jeremy. I'm the, the youth pastor here. Excited this morning to get to share a little bit with you. Um, as Luke said, I am a Kentucky fan and I am now ready for Luke to not do the announcements anymore. That would be, that would be good as well. But I'm excited to share because um, not the easiest thing, this passage this week that we're looking at, we're going to look at Ephesians 3, 14 um, through 21 uh, to continue going through Ephesians. Um, but it really gets into the heart of God. And so this morning, our purpose is to, is to look at Paul's prayer, see his purpose for us, and how we can take that and apply it to ourselves. Because I do think that as Paul's praying here in Ephesians 3, I don't think it's one of those passages that's for just people in Ephesus in the first century. I think it's stuff here that is really um, heavy for us now here in uh, where we are. But we are going to back up because in chapter 1, Paul starts this prayer and then he veers off for, a couple ch- for chapter 2 and then he's going to come back to finish this prayer a- in chapter 3. And so I'm actually going to start this morning looking at uh, Ephesians 1 starting in verse 15 and then we'll read through, not all the way through, not chapter 2 with it, but we'll read through 3, 14 through 22 as well, or 21. Starts with this. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I want to stop there just for a second. That's the point. Okay, he's going to be, the rest of this passage this morning, the rest of this prayer, everything's going to point back to that phrase of know him better. That's Paul's motivation. He's going to talk about strength. He's going to talk about power. He's going to talk about love. But all of it is to point back to that phrase of knowing Jesus better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people and his incomparable great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly realms, far above all the authority, power, and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is the body the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So that's the start of the prayer. Paul then veers for the next chapter and a half or so, and he comes back to finish this prayer in Ephesians 3. And so this is where he picks up. He says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled in the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. 
So Paul starts this prayer with one specific purpose, for all those who pray it to know Jesus more. That's the purpose. Everything in there from that point on is building on that purpose. And he works through this idea of calling us higher. He's calling the Ephesians. He's calling us. He's calling us into this higher relationship, to this, this relationship above just knowledge about to a relationship of knowledge of the person. It's different to have knowledge about Jesus than it is to actually know Jesus. Those are two different things. And I think Paul wants to emphasize this. He starts in, in verse 14. He says he's bowing his knees. He's going to his knees, which is, seems not that important of a, of a part of this passage. But when we know that Jewish people, when they prayed, prayed standing up. The only time we see someone of a Jewish background to hit their knees to pray are these moments of sincerity that, that we can't comprehend. Imagine Jesus in the garden when he's sweating blood. He hits his knees and he prays to the Father in the garden. There's this intensity about going to his knees to pray. The same with Stephen when he's right before he's martyred in Acts. He hits his knees and he prays for, and he sees Jesus at the right hand of the Father. There's this stepping up of the intensity that occurs when we hit our knees. Now, I'm not up here to tell you you should be on your knees to pray all the time. You pray however it is you want to pray. Standing, sitting, laying, knees, whatever. But I think what Paul is saying is this is a really big, important deal. It's so important that I'm going to hit my knees so that you understand how sincere I am with this. And then he goes on to ask for prayer, excuse me, he goes on to tell us who he's praying for. Every family under the name of God, which is everybody, Jew and Gentile. He's, he says, I'm gonna, this prayer is not just for you believing Christians in Ephesus. This is for all people everywhere at all times. And it's a very intense prayer that as he moves through it, the meat of the passage, he asks for four specific things for the, for the Ephesians or for these people. He asks for strength. He asks, asks for a foundation in love. He asks that we would know the love of Jesus, and he asks that we would, be, we would know the fullness of God. John Stott, some of y'all may know him. He was uh, a, theolo a theologian in England. He says that Paul here, his prayer is like a staircase where Paul continues to call God's people into a higher relationship. And each one of these build on the other. You're as we pursue him and pursue this intimate relationship, we're climbing stairs to be closer to the Father. I thought it was a good picture of what Paul is praying for. Because he is calling us higher into an intimate relationship with Jesus. And to do that, he, again, he prays these four things. And we're going to start with strength this morning. Paul asks for strength for the believer in spirit and their inner being. When I hear this strength, the first thought I had was, what, like, what are we talking about? Is this endurance? What are we looking at? But I think what Paul is saying is strength to recognize that following Jesus intimately cost us something. It is costly, and it costs us a lot of ourselves. And we have to be strong enough to recognize that and strong enough to submit that to him. Because then he, he goes on to it and says, 
that you may be indwelt with the Holy Spirit, right? He's talking to Ephesian Christians, which they should already be indwelt with the Holy Spirit. But what I think Paul is saying here is that he has some of you, and he's fully indwelling you, but you're not recognizing the fullness. You're not recognizing all of it. You're actually not recognizing who you belong to. There are two words that are used in the, in the New Testament to talk about indwelling. One of them is a word that means temporary indwelling. It's, it's u- usually used for people who are just passing by. Maybe someone who is a foreigner who's stopping for a short period of time in a specific place and they indwell that place. But it's, it's very specific to being a temporary dwelling. And then rarely, this other word is used that Paul uses here that mean, that we translate as indwelt, which means a master taking hold of something that already belongs to him. So what he's saying here, when you look at it from that word, what he's saying here, you belong to Jesus. I just pray now that you will submit yourself and let him take hold of you. That's what that indwelling means here. And so Paul is encouraging them, give him all of you. I don't know, I'm probably a lot like the Ephesians. There's places in my life where I'm like, this is all yours, God, you got all of it, but just stay out of this area. Like you give them, you know, you give them keys to the house, but you can't come in the bedrooms. I got stuff I'm hiding in here or stuff I can do, I can take care of over here. And what Paul is saying, just give them all of it. It's the higher calling, it's intimacy, it's depth of relationship that that he's asking for and this strength. And then he goes on with this foundation, this deep roots, he's rooted and established in love. And what Paul's saying here is that all of those things I've prayed for you are great, but if you don't love, then they don't matter. You have to be rooted. He uses two analogies, roots of a tree. The tree falls without deep roots. A building will fall without a good foundation. And Paul is telling you all these other things are good things. But if the foundation isn't love, then this stuff is going to crumble. This tree is going to fall. And he's writing this to a very divided Ephesus. Ephesus in the first century was this metropolitan city. There were people from all over the world who came there. It was at the center of a trade route. So you had people from Europe and Africa and Asia all coming to this one place. And they were bringing their gods, their cultures, and and their ideas to this spot. And then you have this small group of Christians who were living there who most of them were formerly Jewish. And so they see all these people around them as unclean. And we have this huge racial and cultural divide in Ephesus. And Paul is telling them, I don't care about your differences. If you can't love the people next to you, regardless of what they look like, believe, or say, then all these other things that I'm talking about, you'll never get that because you don't love. And as I was reading that, it felt like that was a real specific word for us. Loving people has to be our foundation. Jesus says that we'll know who we are, we'll know whose we are by the way that we love. And Paul is emphasizing, rooted and grounding. It's like he stopped in the middle. I'm going to pray for a lot of things for you, but first of all, realize love. It's the same reason why in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and chapter 14 are about spiritual gifts and right in the middle, it kind of seems like it doesn't fit, is chapter 13, which is a whole chapter on love. Because spiritual gifts don't matter if you don't love people. 
And so be rooted and grounded in love. And then he goes on to talk about the love of Jesus. So it's another a contrast here. This is how you love and we want you to be rooted and grounded in it. This is how Jesus loves you. And he prays for us to have the power to know Jesus' love. And he gives that the dimensions, right? The height, the depth, the width, the length of Christ's love for us. He wants us to have an understanding of how much Jesus loves us. And I think that's where we get hung up a lot. Especially if we've grown up in church. When I was growing up in church, I've told you all the story. I used to do Bible drill. You'd stand like this with your Bible and they'd call a verse and you'd flip to it. And I had these verses memorized and I could spout out scripture all day long. Knew all the verses on love, but I didn't know that Jesus loved me in my heart. I, had a, I, I, I get it intellectually. I can say the verses, but grasping that I'm actually loved isn't something that we grasp intellectually. It has to be something that gets in our heart or it's just something that we know. We know this about God that Jesus loves us. What Paul is praying for is for us to know the love of Jesus. That's different. You find the words in the Bible, you find the love in the relationship. Spending intentional time with him knowing how much he loves you and knowing how much he wants to give you. And we have to grasp it with our hearts. The sign for me that I was missing that is, David uses this analogy all the time, when I'm squeezed, love isn't the first thing that comes out of me. It's usually rage because I have kids. It's, that's usually the thing for me. It's rage, it's frustration, it's anger. And what that tells me is while I might know that Jesus loves me, I'm not experiencing in that moment the love of Jesus in my heart. It's just something that I know. It's not something that I have cultivated and grown in. And so Paul prays specifically for us to know the love of Jesus. Again, not with our heads, but with our hearts. And the last thing that Paul prays is for us to experience the fullness of God. Sometimes I was reading, I was like, I'm not sure Paul knows what he's asking for for us. That's a lot. He's asking for the fullness, the, the whole measure of who God is to be in us. And as I started thinking about it, that's exactly what happened. When we, do, when we cultivate intimacy with the Father, that's exactly what happens because if he's in us like that, our bodies can't hold it and we'll just start spraying God all over everybody around us and it looks like love. We can't bear in this state, in this world, in the, in the flesh that we're in right now, we can't bear the fullness of God without getting it all over everybody around us. We won't be able to bear that until we, if completely until we get to heaven. And that's going to be awesome too. But right now, our responsibility is to become more like him. And we can't become more like him if we don't know him. We can read about him, but if we don't know him intimately, we can't be like him. We can't love like him. We can't behave like him. We can't forgive like him. And we don't have any power like him unless we know him and know him in such a way as to know his heart and his purpose. And I'm not up here claiming that we know all, he's going to reveal everything, but he'll reveal enough to us if we continue to pursue him. 
And so Paul prays for this fullness of God. And I think as he's praying that, in my mind, I've kind of got worked up this mental picture of Paul stopping and going, whoa, I prayed for a lot here. And then he doubles down. He says, and to him who can do immeasurably more. Paul's asking for a ton of stuff, but yet he says he can do actually even more than what I've asked for. He can do more than give us the fullness of himself. And that's amazing and that's crazy to me. Because when I was a young Christian, I don't know how, how many years I've been following the Lord. I heard this sermon and this pastor, it stuck with me to the point that I've memorized it for all these years later. He said, if God never does another thing for you, he's already done enough. And I grabbed hold of that as like the cornerstone of my prayer and my theology at that point. I think it was a protection thing. That way, if I asked for something from the Lord, he didn't answer it. Then I had this excuse and I could say, you know what? He's already done enough for me. He doesn't have to answer that. And it worked its way into stop asking them for things. And that's how I thought. Now I was teaching, I would have kids come up to me and they would say, hey, coach, can you pray for me to get an A on this test? And I would nod my head yes, knowing I wasn't going to do that because there's people who need healing from sickness and there's people for, who, who need to know the gospel. So your test is like triage. I'm going to pray for this stuff. And if God has anything left over, then I'll, I'll pray about this over here for your test that, that you're never going to use again. But as I've gotten to know him more, and as you read this, just because God answers a prayer that I have doesn't mean he runs out of things for somebody else. God's resources are inexhaustible. And that's what Paul is emphasizing here. doesn't matter. He's like, I ask for the world. I ask for everything in this prayer to him who can do immeasurably more. And so he just keeps emphasizing for us, know him. Know him intimately. It's different than knowing about him. It's different than knowing anything else. And he, he ends the, 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 the prayer with his doxology to him who gets all the glory for generations. And so it's this acknowledgement of who God is and who this one who can do immeasurable things is. And he's saying, he, this guy, this is what blows me away. This God who can do immeasurably more and who is to be glorified for generations wants to know me in an intimate and a deep way. He wants to be so close to me that we're inseparable. And all he asks from me is to have the same desire back for him and to prepare. Now, as I was thinking about this, one parable of Jesus popped in my head. Matthew 25, we have that parable of the bridesmaids. I'm not going to put it up there. I'll, I'll summarize it for you. But Jesus says there's these 10 bridesmaids. Five of them are wise and five of them are foolish. The five wise ones have lamps with jars of oil. The five foolish ones, they just have lamps with oil. And what they're doing is they're preparing for the bridegroom to come back. They're waiting. They don't know when he's coming, but, but, but they got to be on the lookout. And so they're, they're, they're looking for the bridegroom, basically. They've got these lamps lit, and they're looking, and then they all fall asleep, in which I thought, here comes the rebuke. Don't fall asleep. Jesus is coming back. That wasn't the rebuke. I think he was like, that did, whether they fell asleep or not didn't distinguish between wise and foolish. It's basically, I think, what Jesus was saying, you're all going to grow weary at some point. You're all going to grow tired. That doesn't make you foolish. That just makes you human. What makes you foolish is if you don't bring enough oil. 
See, the five that had the extra jars, they, they, they announce that, that the bridegroom is back at midnight. And so they've got all this oil. And the five foolish realize we've run out of oil. We're not going to find them. And so they go to the other five and say, give us some of yours. And they said, no, we got to hold on to this because this is what, we, we got to be able to find them. Go buy your own. And so they go to buy some. And when they go to buy it, they miss the bridegroom and they're out. This is the only time that I know of in scripture that Jesus promotes excess and not sharing. Excess of oil, and it's not yours to give away. An excess of oil that comes, this oil is spiritual preparedness. It's cultivating relationship with Jesus. It's cultivating a lifestyle that's so coexistent with Jesus that you can't do anything without him. And we live a life of cultivating that. I think the problem is it's, it, it's, it's sometimes we live off of old decisions. Baptisms today. Sometimes the oil we get at baptism is the only oil we get in our life. And we, we try to live off a decision we made decades ago or even months ago. We try to live off this decision. And what we realize is that we don't have the power, the strength, or the endurance to make it to the end because we haven't continued to cultivate relationship. This is not the end game. This is the beginning right here. This is the start. And as we cultivate this relationship, we, we, we desire more oil and we hoard it. Again, it's the only time Jesus says, don't give it away. It's because it's not ours to give away. The others go and buy it. They don't find it because it's not something that you can buy, although it does cost us. It's going to cost us time. It's going to cost us entertainment. It's going to cost something to cultivate this relationship, this intimate relationship with him. It will cost us some kind of something. I don't know what it costs. I just know it costs at least time. This oil of spiritual preparedness. You can call it oil, you can call, you can call it uh, living water, you can call it fresh bread, whatever you want to call it. It's all a metaphor for being prepared for relationship with him. He wants to know you and he wants you, us, to know him more. And I have to be honest, I've got to, just to share, this is something that's kind of, it hit me last week. My time with the Lord, my quiet time that I had with the Lord was all about gaining knowledge to be able to share with somebody else. I read my Bible pretty diligently every day, and I read and read and read and read. And I know a lot about Jesus. But it wasn't until this past week that I started spending time in relationship with Jesus. I went to my Bible with him. I didn't go to learn about him. And it was this idea of oil that kind of stuck out to him. And we have to continue to produce this oil. We have to continue to be prepared and be in relationship with him. We have to establish, we have to find our secret place to be with the Lord. That's what Jesus did. He's the perfect model for all of these things. But you see, if you read through the Gospels, there's countless examples of Jesus withdrawing in the morning to a secret place to spend time with his father. He, goes, he seeks solitude to be alone, to be filled up and to connect with Jesus. 
And if Jesus needed that time alone to spend, to spend time with his father to cultivate his relationship, how much more do I need it? And so I want to encourage you this morning to start thinking about your secret place. Where do you go to spend time with the Lord? People have done it for generations. I read a story about John Wesley who, who for a season in his life would lock himself in his prayer closet and he wouldn't come out until he heard the word of the Lord. He just said, I'm not leaving until I hear something from you. And he cultivated intimacy. That's what it looks like to dive deeper in relationship with him. Just for a minute, just to be real practical about this. What does it look like? This is not the end-all, be-all of ways. And again, I just started doing this myself. And so I want to confess that. So there's no hypocrisy up here from me of like I've got this figured out. But one of the things, some practical things we can do first is a consistent place. The spot. There's a place where you can go to be comfortable every day, every time with the Lord. Make it comfortable, not too comfortable that you fall asleep, but just comfortable enough that you can stand in the presence. You can be there. You can relax. You can be yourself and go to that spot. Every time you meet with the Lord, go to that spot. There's an expectation around the location that you're going that this is what I'm going here to do. The second thing is a consistent time. Do it the same time. Whatever it happens to be. It doesn't matter what time it is. Do it in the morning. Do it in the evening. Do it in the middle. Whatever. But just do it the same time. Because it builds this expectation of, I'm, I'm about to meet with the Lord. And at first, you may be like, I'm about to meet with the Lord. And then as you meet with him, it becomes this exciting thing is, I get to meet with the Lord. And the time on the clock become, becomes one of expectancy around meeting with Jesus. The third thing, this one's a little tougher, the amount of time that we spend. It's got to be extended. It, 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 I, I mean, I, for me, I just started doing this, and I'm spending an extended period of time because it takes me that long to get there. For you, it varies for each person. So I don't want to stand up here and tell you that you have to spend an hour with Jesus, but I think that's a good place but I don't want to put you in a situation. I don't want you to turn off. It's like, I don't have an hour. I'm not listening anymore. I don't want you to do that. Whatever it is that you're doing now, increase it. Five minutes, one day. If you're doing nothing, just start with five minutes. But the thing about it is it doesn't matter what you do in that place. I don't, devotionals are great. They're awesome. They do a lot about thought-provoking inspiration and give you stuff to think about, but that's not what we're going after here. Spending an extended period of time with the Lord will cultivate relationship. And you may be hearing, I don't have an extended amount of time. That's the cost piece. It's going to cost us something. It may be sleep. I don't know. But to get to that intimate place, that intimate spot of relationship with Jesus, we have to be willing to spend the time. And at first, it's going to be hard. It's going to be tough at first, but as you experience him, as you meet him, as you know him and how much he loves you, that whole height, width, depth, length part, right? When you start to comprehend the depths of his love for you, it won't be that hard anymore. 
It'll cost you something. It may be difficult, but it also will be better. And it'll help you answer a question. There's a question we've been asking our students for over a year now. If any of them were in here, they would be rolling their eyes right now. But the question I've been asking them is, do you know Jesus well enough that if heaven wasn't a thing, you would still follow him? Do you know him intimately enough that if you didn't get heaven, you would still follow him because he's that good? And we can't know that unless we know him. We can't know that unless we're spending time with him, this intimate time with him. And honestly, it doesn't really matter what you do in that time. You can pray, you can be silent, you can read, you can listen to music. There's, the options are, are limitless when you have that extended amount of time. But I don't want you to feel discouraged by that. Me saying an extended period of time and you saying, is that five minutes, is that 10 minutes, is that two hours? It's whatever it is for you right now that will get you started this way. Add something to whatever it is that you're doing. If you're spending seven days a week with the Lord for two hours, I want to hang out, but extend it, even that. If you're spending zero time in the week with the Lord, add a day. All of us are at different places in, our, in, our, in the process of becoming more like him. And so we have to take baby steps into this relationship. We can't just go from zero to every single day for hours. We're going to burn out. We have to be patient and take baby steps. And what you'll see is that as you fall more and more in love with him, you'll create more and more time for him. But be patient. Take your time and just cultivate that relationship. He wants to know you more, and he wants you to know him more. Would you follow him if heaven wasn't included? Do you know how good he is? Do you know how much he loves you? I'm going to invite the band back up, and they're going to sing the song over us. And the song is this passage. They're going to play this song. And I just want you this morning to make this passage your prayer. This is what we're praying for, to know Jesus in an intimate way, to honor the one that can do immeasurably more than what we could ask for. I'm gonna pray, to invite y'all to sit, and at some point, if the Lord leads you, stand up and worship along, but just pray this prayer for yourself this morning. Let's pray. Jesus, we do ask, we do ask to know you more, Lord. We ask that you would give us the strength and the power and the endurance to comprehend just a little bit of who you are and how you love us. We pray, Lord, for the strength to continue to pursue you. We pray, Lord, this morning for every person in this room that you would give us that oil that we need. I pray, Lord, that you would give us the opportunity, that we would see every opportunity that we have to spend with you as a time to meet with heaven. Lord, I pray you just give us insight into how good and loving you are. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week.